0: We would like to say a special thank you to Saving Grace Lutheran Church in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, for sponsoring this week's episode.
1: Then you have only one word to cry, and that is, Jesus, be merciful to me. I cannot do this anymore. I need you to be merciful, be unfair to me.
0: What's up everybody and welcome back to Scripture First, the podcast that explores how the Lutheran lectionary is working in your life. I'm your host, Mason Van Essen. We're tackling the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in today's conversation as Jesus continues to illustrate what he meant in saying, whoever seeks to preserve their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will keep it. Two men go to the temple to pray, one who thinks they're excellent at the law, and another who pleads to God to be merciful. Sarah teaches Adam and I in this week's text what it means to be humbled, how this comparison echoes Cain and Abel, and what faith is. Let's get to it. Here's Luke chapter 18 verses 9 through 14. He also told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week And now, on to this week's conversation. Welcome back to Scripture First. We have Sarah Stenson on her own this week. Thanks for being
2: here, Sarah.
1: Thank you, Mason.
2: We are in uh, Luke chapter 18, right after um, last week we did with Lars, Uh, but maybe, uh, Sarah, you can just give us a little more context with uh, what's happening and maybe uh, anything else you think is important.
1: Sure. Um, So yeah, this is helpful that it does follow on the heels of what you heard Lars talking about last week, and that actually, the context of, of... even um, verses 1 through 8 here in chapter 18, it's actually all coming out of chapter 17, especially verse 33, where Jesus says, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. So it's kind of a hard thing, even now, for us to get our heads wrapped around. Mm-hmm. So Jesus kind of lays out a series of parables, illustrations, including what you heard last week in the first eight verses of chapter 18, to uh, illustrate what he's getting at with that. When you seek to preserve your life, you lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. So that's the kind of the bigger frame of this text.
2: Mm -hmm. And he tells this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous um, and regarded others with contempt. I guess. uh, (laughs) Just say that again. I know. He told
0: this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Right. What a what a crowd.
1: Right. Exactly the reaction I would expect, Mason, and I'm really glad you had it cuz without Kiru we kind of miss the like you know that really genuine huh? or that type of reaction that's exactly right. Because when you first come across it, you're like, oh my gosh, like what kind of people that trust in themselves, that they're righteous and regard others with contempt, those are clearly bad people. Well, Mm -hmm. guess what? That's all of us. We do (laughs) – plot twist. We do the very same thing. And so I was just kind of running through some examples in my head, things that just popped up even without thinking much about it. So – When you try to do a spiritual discipline, if you go on some sort of a prayer labyrinth, those exercises, do fasting, Giving up something for Lent. Exactly. That's another great example. Anything you do to try to improve your standing before God, another word for that is righteousness, is in order to benefit yourself, when that's why you're trying to do it. Or another way of saying that, to try to get closer to God, to try to become a stronger Christian, to get mm-hmm. more faith. I mean, this it comes out in all sorts of forms.
2: This is like, uh, what's Dr. Corbin say? He says, I'm giving up all um, forms attempts of, attempts self-righteousness. of self-righteousness <laughs> for Lent.
1: Well, I've also, actually, piety is usually the word he uses. Attempts to be to pious. Which itself
2: is a very pious thing All attempts to be pious. No, that's exactly right. Because <laughs> well, when but, you do uh, that, I, I wanna, you're
1: actually uh, sinning.
2: Yeah, I,
0: and I just want to point out, too, that it's not just in the... Affirmative mm-hmm. of people saying that I'm trying to be better at the law or trying to make myself closer to God. Right. It's it's also in the negative of of people constantly worrying or having anxiety. Am I doing what Enough. God wants me to do? Am I in the right job? Am I in the right career? Am I serving the right neighbors? It, like right because the, they're it's trusting the in themselves the at
1: mm-hmm. that moment, and they actually do not have faith in Christ. That. God will provide you daily bread, et cetera. Exactly right, Mason. That's a really good point. Same coin, different side. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. So um, this word contempt, regarding others with contempt, maybe you can help uh, uh, expand that or what?
1: Right. Um, So in the Greek, it's this exutheneo, which is actually despise, treat with contempt. Mm -hmm. So, And contempt is absolutely a fair translation Mm -hmm. because... I mean, you can picture this is why Mason reacted genuinely like, well, that's a nice crowd. A bunch of arrogant, literally self righteous people who are looking at everyone else with contempt, deep contempt, despise other people mm-hmm. because presumably they're not as good at following the law. They aren't as good in their or don't have as good a relationship with God as do we mm-hmm. therefore we're gonna point our fingers everywhere else outside of us
0: mm-hmm. that's like a really despicable uh, emotion in in today's world just to like think about like in your own life like when have you felt contempt where when have you felt like despise or even like what's another like word for it like disgust over yeah Like another group someone's below you or like you literally have no respect for a different group
1: that's a great example Mason and of course we know in today's political conversation us them is alive and well yeah and it is contempt and it is this deep despise level of contempt and it then of course comes into our congregations Mm -hmm. and it gets uh, framed uh, falsely as a theological issue and it should not be, but we hear, all are welcome, inclusivity, love wins, all of these kind of code words that actually have been turned into us-them mentality. Are you loving enough? Are you inclusive enough? Well, guess who those who have that mantra, and think, by the way, incorrectly, that that is the gospel, and it is not, that is the law. But when you think that's the gospel, you actually now are trusting in yourselves that you're righteous. Look how loving we are. Mm -hmm. And you do despise others who actually have a different understanding of the gospel. You despise those people, frankly, like us, who actually stick with scripture and say, the gospel is this. Jesus forgives you all your sin, and you have to name sin in order to forgive it. And of course, all sinners are welcome in our congregation. Could not be more inclusive than that. Mm -hmm. But when you have a different understanding of inclusivity only in the law, you actually do end up exactly doing this. You despise people who will not go along with your sense of the law, your form of the law.
0: But that helps put... At least myself, and I'm assuming the listeners as well, put themselves into this this group that Jesus is telling this parable to. That think about whatever political side you're on, your political political opposite, and and potentially how you feel about that group. Right. Just to put yourself in the mindset of like who these kinds of people are.
1: Right. Because everything I just said, by the way, applies. about those who think the Gospels a lot, et cetera, et cetera. Guess what? We do not do as Christians with people who have that mm, heretical understanding of the gospel, those who think the gospel is the law or love. We do not stand in our corner and say and point our fingers in contempt and despise those people and say, You're wrong. How can you think the gospel is love? Absolutely not. I can't believe that. That would be doing the same coin, different side. Mm. Instead, we actually preach Christ to those people and you pray the Holy Spirit will open their ears to hear Christ's mercy, his forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So um, we, we hear the, the, the parable that he's speaking. Two men went mm-hmm. up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Uh, so uh, this is two common people we hear about all the time in mm-hmm. the, the gospels, the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying, thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, (laughs) adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Uh, uh, Maybe we can say something about that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, before we we keep going about how, yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, of course, the Pharisee uh, is the one who's good at the law or thinks he's good at the law. And then he goes on to demonstrate just how good he is and actually goes over and above the law even in his fasting practice, over and above what the Old Testament requires. The tax collector, though, is an interesting little turkey. He's an interesting character. So we talk about tax collectors a lot. You hear about tax collectors. They're always the sinners in these texts. It's the bat. you do not want to be called or to be a tax collector in these New Testament stories. They're Mm -hmm. sinners. The reason for that is the practice in the scriptural times here is that Romans— Awarded that job of collecting taxes to the highest bidder. So it wasn't like uh, you know you just send in your resume. You actually people would would bid to get the job, hmm. and the Roman government would then you know kind of like a you know bid to get the highway job. They would they would determine oh there's the best bid. We make the most money from that person. You get to be the tax collector. <laughs> the reason that people were bidding to be a tax collector is not only would they collect the taxes that were due the government, they would impose a surcharge on the tax. And so the tax collector would then actually effectively abuse the system, is how we would think of it now, Mm -hmm. for self-profit. So they were always looked at liars, cheaters, Mm -hmm. sinners, Mm -hmm. not good people. The whole system was rigged effectively, start to finish. Mm -hmm. So when Jesus starts to lay out this two men went up to the temple to pray again you know seemingly innocuous little oh, he's, you know clearly one good guy one bad guy they're both going up to the temple to pray um kind of a slightly pulled back the pharisee is going to the temple to demonstrate how good he is at the law we know this by the rest of what jesus says in the parable the tax collector goes to the temple to pray for mercy. He's confessing his sin, pleading for mercy. And the first time I read this text, actually the story of Cain and Abel popped into my head. And I think there are a lot of parallels here. And I don't think it's the Old Testament reading for this week, but if I were preaching it, I would I would bring it in to this text because there are a ton of parallels here with Cain and Abel coming out of Genesis 4. Um. And we know we know the story broadly. Cain and Abel both gave offerings to God.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Cain gave his offering to God and expected some sort of recognition, mm-hmm. of, you know, pat on the back, recognition.
0: Thanks for the nice calf.
1: Exactly, <laughs> way to follow through on that sacrifice law and give me the first fruit. That idea, exactly. Abel also gave an offering to God, but Abel lifted up his offering, knowing it was not. Worthy. and this actually comes out of the Hebrew Genesis or uh, the Hebrew language in Genesis. Luther does a really um, in-depth treatment of how mistranslated mm-hmm. this four, chapter 4 verse 7 has been mm-hmm. Hebrews in the New Testament 114 actually picks this up and further um, elaborates on or elucidates this text as well. The difference in the way God looked upon those two offerings is, Cain did not have faith. Abel did. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And Abel's posture, when he lifted up that offering, this is why it kind of echoed in my head, his posture in lifting up that offering to God was the same posture this tax collector has. He knows he's not worthy, in, in Abel's case, his offering is not worthy, and they're both in need of mercy. Mm -hmm. They're both in need of mercy. And that actually is what is commended to now I'm talking about Abel as his righteousness, according to Hebrews 11. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you hear us talking kind of inside baseball, scripture interprets itself. This comes out of Luther, of course. This is a great example of that because that whole um, story of Cain and Abel that's Old Testament new in Hebrews is actually now what Jesus is echoing in this parable.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And that's a, a, an interesting way to put that. And I'm just trying to think, put myself into Abel's, Abel's shoes. And yeah. if if I was commanded to to give an offering to God, I mean, I could give literally everything I own and it would still not be adequate for eternal life, right? There's like nothing I could give that would be like, oh yeah, th- like that's enough. You've bought enough into to, to earn this, your, you will your be forgiveness. Ha-
1: happy to know you just echoed Luther. Heyo. So yay, we've been doing this long enough. You are now actually sounding like Martin Luther, Mason. So Luther actually has a quote uh, on, it's on the Cain and Abel text and he says, nothing is pleasing to God unless it is done in faith. Mm-hmm. Then he yeah. goes on to say, and sin, which is, a, this is where you are, Mason, is so enormous. It cannot be blotted out by sacrifices or other works. In other words, you, there's we don't have enough to give to God.
2: You couldn't even give but your own life.
1: Only through God's mercy. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's nothing. Yeah, there's and actually nothing. you can't yeah. because God gives you your breath and he will actually finally stop your heart.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm.
1: yeah. <laughs> Look at you echoing Luther. <laughs>
2: Mason, Luther, Venice. I know that's right. It. That's, that's right. That's right. That's right. You sound like the, the Pharisee now. That's right. <laughs> that's right. I fast twice a week. <laughs> so uh, the tax collector stands far off. We didn't even read it. Um, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble, humble themselves uh, will be exalted, right? Um, maybe this last uh, part can sometimes be difficult. With um, who's humbling you, who's exalting you? Uh, is this a uh, prescription to uh, do exactly what the uh, the tax collector is doing? How does this actually function?
1: Yeah. Now remember back when we started, and I said this is coming out of this key yeah. chapter seventeen, verse thirty three. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. You see how they're kind of both similar now with all who exalt themselves will be humbled, all who humble themselves will be exalted. It's a very um, parallel kind of language, and you're right, Adam. It's really easy to get twisted in it because it kind of sounds circular until you slow down and think about what Jesus is actually saying. So before we—and we need to to do this in order to understand that very last— Part of this sentence. In verse 14, when Jesus says, This man went down to his home justified rather than the other, now he's talking about the tax collector, the tax collector who cries out for mercy, be merciful to me, a sinner. The the reason that tax collector is justified is because the, the tax collector knows he's a sinner and he has trust, he has faith that God will be merciful, he will be unfair to him. Not give him what he deserves because, of course, he deserves death, he deserves nothing good to happen to him. Mm -hmm. So, Jesus is saying that's what justified that tax collector, that sinner. He knows he's a sinner and he knows he's crying out to God, the one who can actually deliver mercy, unfair forgiveness. So, then Jesus says, All who exalt themselves will be humbled, all who humble themselves will be exalted and as you're starting to identify adam this is really easy to flip this text around this this last part of the sentence around in verse 14 and turn it into a text about how humble we are supposed to be.
2: Mm-hmm, Frequently mm-hmm, that comes time. out in
1: forms of false humility. Mm-hmm. Well, I would all to God, but now I'm going to be just, and it turns into almost like a false theology of glory is how we would say this, even in theo- theological terms, mm-hmm. which you won't go there, but it's a similar thing Yeah, that it gets turned into a, a uh, to-do list, a prescription <laughs> that you think Jesus is now telling you, I have to humble myself in order to, to be exalted by God, to Mm -hmm. be lifted up, however you want to hear that. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Well, when you do that, this goes back to my comment at the beginning about spiritual disciplines, prayer labyrinths, spiritual retreats, all those things. If you're trying to benefit yourself, you are actually sinning. If you are trying to improve your relationship with God, get more faith, whatever it is, and now we're talking about, Humble yourself. This is, this is actually sin. And it is actually that old song, which you two are way too young to remember. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. That's actually where you end up when you're trying to humble yourself mm-hmm. in order to be exalted by God.
2: You start looking at your own humbleness.
1: Exactly, and being proud of how humble you are. Yeah. I am the most humble person I know. Thanks be to God. Yeah. I'm not like those people, back yeah. to the original part of this yeah. first part, yeah. who are not nearly as humble as I yeah. am because yeah. I know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, so that begs the question then of how is it we are humbled? How do you get to where what Jesus is talking about here?
0: You can't. But I think I'm answering your question here. But yeah. you can't deeply desire mercy unless the law and death and sin and the devil are all like just bearing down on you. That is the only like way that you would actually cry out for mercy. And that's why like you can think about like oh, I want to be like the tax collector, but like you can't be like the tax collector unless it's being like happening to you.
1: Exactly. Because in wanting to be like the tax collector, what you're really saying is, I want to be a sinner. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? Nobody wants to be a sinner because you know what that means. It means the Reformation text coming up out of John, this is exactly, you're a slave to sin. So no one wants to be a sinner and especially when you think you're doing well, no one wants to be called sinner. You're exactly right, Mason. It's when sin, death, the devil, the world, the stock market, the mortgage rates, your kids, the you, know, you name it, the hurricanes, the fires, the floods, the politics. What, the politics, absolutely. The midterm elections. Oh my gosh, the you know, the conspiracy you hear what they theories. Said? Yeah. Exactly. When all those voices are compounded in your head and consuming you. Then you have only one word to cry, and that is, Jesus, be merciful to me. I cannot do this anymore. I need you to be merciful, be unfair to me. And you cry that out in faith that we have a God who is a giver, not a demander, which, by the way, we do.
0: We have a God who is a giver. Of mercy.
1: A mercy. He is not a demander. He is not ultimately a job. His final word over all of us who are baptized Christians is sinner forgiven in Christ, child of God, marked with the cross of Christ forever.
0: And on that note, we've reached the end of this week's episode, my friends. Thank you to Sarah Stenson for showing us how Scripture interprets itself, in that the Pharisee and the tax collector is so similar to Cain and Abel. One thinks they're excellent at what's being asked of them, the law. The other pleads with God to be merciful because they can't do it anymore. All those who humble themselves will be exalted. You can't humble yourself, because no one wants to be a sinner. But you will be humbled, because sin, death, and the devil are bearing down on you. But the good news is that our God is a giver of mercy, not a demander. His final word over us is sinner, forgiven in Christ, child of God marked with the cross of Christ forever. I want to invite you to watch Luther House's new horror video series. You heard that right, a new horror video series. Luther House of Study, in partnership with the Unite Leadership Collective and Red Braille Studios brings you The Horror, a video series based on true horror stories from Lutheran ministries from around the US. In this four-part series, we tell true stories from ministry as if they were horror movies. Ministry can be scary, but don't be afraid. Join us in the mission to proclaim Jesus. New episodes every Saturday on the Luther House of Study Facebook and YouTube pages. Thanks again for joining us this week. Remember, God is a giver of mercy. We'll see you next time on Scripture First.